All right, boys and girls, we are live here. It is Rob from Rob School of Music, and we have the legendary Mr. Adam Schoenfeld. Thank you so much for your time, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's a big word, legendary. Well, I, I tell you, you deserve every one of those syllables because looking at your <laughs> resume, man, you have been around. And- uh, thanks, man. I'm just, I'm just lucky. The other L word. <laughs> well, Thank you for having me, man. Definitely. Definitely. I'm just making sure that we are live on Facebook as well. We are good. Okay. So we are a music school. We are located in, um, in New York, but we do virtual lessons worldwide. And my first question I ask everyone um, I think you can answer in two different ways, actually, which is kind of exciting. So prior to the pandemic, one of the big things within the school is we're always trying to prepare our students for, you know, hey, it's great if we're all going to become legendary rock stars, the next Taylor Swift, Eddie Van Halen. But realistically, finding gigs and maintaining the life of a musician through all the bumps and the ups and downs is is the long game. Yeah. Um, a lot of our musicians are newer in their musical career, younger as musicians, not necessarily in age. And stage fright, anxiety, those are things that they they deal with. And you played on some giant stages and toured with some big acts, as well as epic sessions. So that's a whole other thing of nerves. So you oh, yeah. tips on that? Oh, yeah. Um, well, if you can ignore them, do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you can't, um, you just got to figure out how to, to get out of it. You know, stage fright for me went away. That, that, um, I get more anxiety and stage fright in front of a smaller audience, you know, because everyone's right there with you. Like, if I'm at a party and someone's like, Hey, man, we play a song and it's five people, I'm like, Uh, uh you know, I don't play guitar very well. <laughs> um, you know, but if it's 20,000, you know, maybe it's because I'm the side man, you know, um, it get that, that kind of stuff you get, you really get to like that. And the stage fright, you get, it's more of a pump thing, you know, when you get to that level. And, you know, if I was a singer at that level, not mm-hmm. just the side guy, I might be a little more nervous. Um, I've been doing my bands with my wife and uh, called Suncat and Digital Brains with my boys. It's a rock band and finally got on stage as a front man the last few years in the clubs. And, man, I'll tell you what, the first show I did as a front man, I was so nervous. And... uh Stay, uh, sound soundtrack was awful. You know, it was just the worst soundtrack ever. And I just left soundtrack thinking, well, it's the way it's going to be. Turned out they didn't have the subwoofer on, you know. So when we walked out for the first hit of the show, the subwoofer was on. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And all of a sudden, all the fear went away. Everybody came to the front of the stage. It was like 50 people, you know, barely any anybody. But it was, it was killer, man. So live stage fright can go away. You can get used to it and not have it before. Um, I think it's just a matter of you keep doing it. That's really the answer to your question is keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Some people I hear that fright doesn't go away. You know, there are people that have made it that always have it, you know? Um, but I think once you get on that stage, it transitions away. Now in sessions, you know, I've, I've gone through moments with anxieties and moments without them, you know, and that's just, you got to get out of your own way is pretty much what it is. And if you start getting hired for recording sessions, you have to keep in the back of your mind that you're there because the person that called you likes what you do. Right. And you always have to remind yourself of that. And hopefully they still like what you do when you leave, which is part of the <laughs> anxiety. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's just experience doing it more and more, you know, and, you know, my advice to the young me would be all those songs I started writing at 14, play them in front of people, memorize them, play them in front of people. You know, that's, that's one thing I would have changed for me. It's just do, do the music in front of people and don't be scared. You know, get that, work it out. Yeah. You know? so. I love that actually. Cause that's one of the big things that we try and do here with the school is we put everyone into groups with people. We have them performing, you know, at, at local events, uh, street fairs, whatever we can get them into because same thing. Like for me growing up, I was, awkwardly painfully cripplingly if that's a word shy and music yeah. gave me that confidence and similar to you the stage fright went away and i kind of feed on that now that's like you know there's the rush yeah, yeah totally um so you know throughout my life i've done my fair share of cover work and i have played 
some of your solos on ah. to me and uh, save a horse ride a cowboy has been a staple uh she's country stuff like that Thanks. Um, what what so if someone were trying to get actually let's do it this way how did you get into the session world uh you know i got a job at a studio when i first moved to nashville um as I was 19 almost 20 and part of the job was well, the job was answering phones, but part of the gig was I could work in any of the three studios I wanted to at any time, you know, as long as I had an engineer um, on anything I wanted to, my own, if, as long as it wasn't booked and as long as I answered the phones. Um, and the the owner, my friend Bob Solomon, uh, he had a publishing company and he used me and my friends as his house musicians. So, and at the same time, I'm hearing the greatest session musicians through the walls, seeing their cases getting rolled in. So that's what started the dream. Um, I, I thought I was going to be in a band and be a rock star when I moved to Nashville. Um, but I, man, I just got thrown into that stuff and people took a chance on me. People I met at the studio that worked there, you know, um, got my first shots at studio work through just working there and being the kid that plays guitar. I think they heard me through the wall working on my stuff. Cool. I think is what started it. If you go back to the very beginning and then, then it just escalates, man. It's like, if you go into one session, you do well, they'll call you back. They'll tell a friend, you know, the, the, the right place, right time thing is so true. And if you don't have the talent to back it up, you know, you might not make it, but I think, uh, man, if you're around the right people, it starts to happen. And that's, that's how it started for me. And it just kind of steamrolled. And so. That's, that's awesome. Did, did it yeah. start off, you know, in Nashville, w were you a country guy? Cause you, you're, you're, no. you're a rock guy. It comes across at least you shred. Yeah. Yeah. No, dude, I was a child of the eighties. I mean, I, I, I am so envious of all these amazing guitar players on social media, the shredders that are just killing it, you know, guys and girls just, you know, shred because I, I I was chasing that when I was a teenager. I was, you know, bouncing tracks on my four track till I had about 24 tracks of two hand tapping and harmony and sweeping and what? You know, so that and I was in a metal band that, you know, we wrote our most of our own songs. We did half half covers and half our own songs. So, yeah, I, I started out there and then some jazz and then got into different kinds of rock and pop because of different bands I was in. Um, so, yeah, and the band I was with when we moved to Nashville was kind of like um, somewhere between Richard Marks and Billy Joel. It was a piano playing guy, um, singer, and and just really awesome. Nathan, Nathan Lee was his name, is his name still. <laughs> um, Speaking of Nathan... Send musicians to prison. It's his uh, nonprofit that he does. Cool. A little shout out to him. He actually goes to prisons, plays music, and tries to help rehabilitate some people's minds. Wow. Know? So, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it was it that was that was my band that my uh, like my influences like Michael Landau and the session players started to come out in my playing and then we moved to nashville and i got lucky enough to get that gig and start testing that stuff so cool yeah i, I think like that is as a guitarist who i toured i had my original band and then i had my son and i kind of shifted to the, the cover world for a bit and now we're, we're writing original music again but having to play so many genres of music opened me up as a player. And then now as a teacher, like if someone comes in and they want to play Metallica, I'm like, that's cool. But we're also going to learn some seventh chords. They mm -hmm. give you some homework to listen to a Steely Dan record because I want you to be well-rounded. So I think being a session guy, it, it, you got to wear all these different hats and that's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, I think learning other instruments is important too. I took piano lessons. I took some clarinet lessons. I played trumpet. Um, and I'm not great at any of them, but you know, drums, I've taken drum lessons. I've played drums on some of my own stuff and thank you beat detective. Um, and, <laughs> but, but honestly I, I was on a string there of taking drum lessons and I started to notice I was locked in again, a little more on my playing 
you know, as I've gotten older, I've noticed the connection between the right and left hand. If I don't exercise it, it's just, you know, I'm not 16 anymore. It's, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't done shredder licks in forever. I've never had to, you know, in the session world. That's the one thing kind of bums me out that I'm trying to, I'm trying to get that stuff back, man. I see these people on, on Instagram and TikTok. I'm like, come on, man. I want to get that going again. Yeah. Uh, but okay. the stuff's about just parts for the songs, you know? So I'm going on a tangent. Sorry, bro. You yeah, got no, no, tangent, please do. It's, it's, it is, I, I am here to listen to you. So, so tell me, tell me all your secrets. Sorry about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking to um the, the piano teacher here at the school earlier today about Instagram and TikTok and how it's provided a platform for all of these, these players that, you know, maybe, you know, within the last 20 years, they wouldn't have had that. I mean, I was yeah. at the, not this past January, obviously, but 2020 out at the NAM show, the lines for the Instagram uh, guitarists were equally as long as the Steve I line, you know, mm. to try and meet people. So it's, yeah, I try and think to myself, if I were just starting and I'm seeing these people just melting faces on social media, would I've been incredibly inspired or would I've been like, I could never do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause for us, we didn't know who the competition was. <laughs> it was the guys in our town and that was it. Exactly. You know? dude. That's what it was. It's yeah. blessing. Yeah. I don't know. I probably, God, I probably would have been like, "Nah, eh, sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to go. Uh, I don't know what I'd do. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't play guitar, man. I'd be a sorry sack sitting around. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, your guitar playing, dude, I, I got written out here, you know, the, the, the accolades and the records and then uh, Luke Bryan, Keith Urban, Blake Sheldon. I mean, it's just Florida Georgia Line, Jake Owen. It just goes on and on and on. Is that one person recommends you and then another person? It's like, you're a cool guy. You can hang. So it is just word of it, mouth. Or? Yeah, it's pretty much that, man. Um, so like the first time I really dove into sessions that were like union scale, the stuff that you know, was that group of musicians that were doing those records. Um, that was around the time I met John Rich and Big Kenny, Big and Rich. And John had a publishing deal and Kenny may have had one as well. And they would use me on their sessions. So that, that would, that's the thing. Like I was saying before, you go into one and you do a good job. I had done some for these other guys. So they were using me more. The first ones I had mentioned, and then John starts using me. So you start building it. It's, it's like a tree, you know, every branch, there's another person that there was a musician on that John Rich session that knows I'm good. So another project comes up, you know, it's really that, that and save a horse, ride a cowboy. You know, that was the first one. And then Hicktown, those really caught people's ears sonically for country. Um, and um, I, it just, that's the thing. It goes, people hear the record, people hear from other people, you're good. It's, again, right place, right time, you know? I think it's super inspiring. Um, one of my first interviews when I started doing this for the pandemic, I had Tim Pierce, and he's been on a bazillion yeah. records as well. And, and similar, yeah. <laughs> similar um circumstance where it's just you know one thing leads to the next so it, i think it just shows to bring your a game and not be an asshole yeah. And, uh, yeah well yeah i mean that's a that's one important thing is is vibe you know um pretty much the the assholes get rooted out yeah you know Good. for the most part <laughs> couple. you know who you are <laughs> we will not name names uh nah i can't really think of anyone Except for one guy. You blink your eyes three times. I know you. <laughs> um, what What was it for you in the beginning? Was there like a particular record or or a show that you saw and you're like, ooh, that that's what I want to do? Uh, well, several records, and and honestly, partly because of the music and partly because of the audience. It was live records. It was Frampton Comes Alive, and I figured out years later that I think what drew me to it first was the sound of the audience that that's the part that kind of gave me the chills and then i was like oh there's music with this stuff too it's really awesome <laughs> um and my dad brought home clapped in just one night live record for me when i was young and said you've got to listen to tulsa time it's the greatest rock and roll song of all time uh, so those two live records really 
really gave me the bug. I remember air guitaring and bouncing up and down on on my bed that was we were getting an addition on the house so my bed was in the living room for like a month or two and i remember being down there just bouncing around and you know so uh but there was also stuff like my brother had pyromania when it first came out so there's that too you know and my, my my parents had a good record collection as well so that's awesome i think it's so fascinating what was the trigger for different people and sometimes it's something that's like so far left field, but it was their first experience with music and it, you know, it changes, it changes the trajectory of their life. Yeah. I, I'll tell you when I knew that I was supposed to be playing and it happened to me twice. Um, the first band I was in was metal band and we played the cafeteria stage at our local high school and junior high school. And I did a guitar solo in the middle of the set that was literally a guitar solo, nobody else. The rest of the band left the stage and I prepared this thing. And when the guys got back on stage, they're like, yeah, it was awesome, blah, blah, blah. And after the show, they're like, did you hear the crowd go up? And I said, no, I didn't. Like, I totally went away for first time ever. Like, I was so in it that I didn't even hear the response. And then it happened again at the a Battle of the Bands we did, like a year or two later. Same thing, just went away and I, it was kind of it. Cool. Just come in. <laughs> it, it is intoxicating. I, you know, again, as I said before, like getting the, our students out playing, like I want them to get out there and feel that feeling. And then like as a fellow musician and then as a teacher, getting to watch someone's eyes, just that, you know, for the first time, it's like you're hooked. Yeah. You're a lifer. Well, they could do it. They need to know that they can do it. Right. You know, that's that's the thing. Hopefully they have people around them, you know, most likely if their parents have them in music lessons, they're the kind of people that are going to support them and tell them they can do it, you know, yeah. and that's that's what they need. My parents, God, they, I thought I could do anything. I was wrong, <laughs> <laughs> but I can play guitar a little bit. That's funny. I came from a very supportive household as well. My father's a drummer and uh, growing up, you know, my, my first couple of bands were horrible in hindsight. Yeah. I had the parents, that was great. That was your best show ever. You sang really good. I'm not a good singer. It was, mm. you, your voice should have been louder. I'm like, what? I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Let, let's go into some gear stuff. I'm trying to put that yeah. up, but I, I can't, I can't withhold it much longer. Um, so I guess the first question is, what is your thought on amp modeling technology? Still wrapping my head around it. Okay. Um, I've had a great experience and some not so great. Um, so I, I guess I can speak from both sides of it. So with McGraw, we use, we were using regular amps with the extension cabinets in road cases, mm -hmm. which if you've ever done before, you know, kind of cause, causes a, like a mid range honk, you know, just a little bit of frequency that's not polite in the in-ears and we have three guitar players. So we, for some reason decided to go Kemper. I think they might blame me, <laughs> but I tried one and I just got the profile of my amp, just the clean profile using my pedal board. Like, like the Kemper was set, like my amp was. Mm -hmm. um, and just me, in my opinion, going down to the Kemper opened the in-ear mix up. And then the other two guys did the same thing. And I remember, I remember Tim saying, wow, something's different about the mix. It's really open sounding. So you get rid of three cabinets that are in boxes to be quiet for the mixer, mm -hmm. you know, and it got rid of that, the bad part of that. Um, so that was a good experience. You know, still haven't gotten into using all the, you know, models and putting it fully in the Kemper, like it's pedal board and Kemper, mm -hmm. as I said, and not using, you know, all the effects and stuff yet, but that was the goal if we could have tore toward this past year. Um, but my other experience with the Kemper hasn't been as good in the studio. Mm -hmm. um, I just did figure out a trick, um, not a trick, but the line out quarter inch, is a, a lower level than if you do XLR. So if you do the line out into a direct box, it sounds better because it's sending less level. It's not hitting it as, as hard. It takes away some of the brittleness. So I'm having good luck with it in my studio, 
I haven't had that luck. I haven't had the really, I've only had two times in other studios and I just didn't enjoy it, but I don't know if I had it dialed right. So I, I can't say that it's a negative thing on their part. Um, but so long, very long answer to, I'm still working on them. Um, what's the other one? The Axe Effects I tried quickly, real quickly, not not long enough to really pass a judgment. Um, I've heard the Iridium pedal Strymon makes mm -hmm. through some friends, heard that quickly and it sounded good. Russ Paul, who is one of the most acclaimed session guitar players and steel players in town, um, he swears by it. He's doing all his overdubs through it. Wow. So if he if he says that, I'm kind of like, that that thing must kick ass, you know. Um, so I think it's a good thing. I think it can be good for ease of operation. I've done it live without in ears. Um, and I one experience wasn't great, one experience was good. So, you know, it's a learning curve, I think, like anything. Dude, I, I completely agree with literally everything you said. Yeah. down to the iso boxes tripping up the mix so everything was yeah uh, so in the school here um we have a bunch of lesson rooms this is my office which is now my virtual space um all my guitar pedals are in a case out in front hundreds of pedals i let the students borrow cool. library books that's awesome i uh, do because it's like when i was a kid i just want to get down and twist knobs and make sound yeah, man in fact a bunch of my students have pedals that they took before we had to shut down for to, you know go virtual which I don't know I'll ever get those back, but that's okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm an amp guy. I'm a pedal guy, but at yeah. the same time for convenience, I tried all the different modeling things. And this is like a conversation I try and have with every person I can talk to all my musician friends, all the studios in town. Um, I didn't like the helix much. I tried it seven times, <laughs> bought, mm. one sold it, bought one, sold it. Um, I have a fractal here that I literally have two patches one that I kind of tried to make sound like my deluxe and one that I wanted to make sound like this Mesa. So I really, mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't. Hmm? I said butamus. That's a nice looking file. It's just, it's, it should be illegal. Um, <laughs> but then I have the Kemper at home and at the Kemper at home, I do exactly what you say. I use yeah. it like it's a head and I run pedals into it. Right. And uh, I find that that works really, really well. But I think with all this stuff, um, what is it? The, uh, the neural, as the quad cortex just came out, everyone's raving about that on YouTube. Uh, it, it, the technology is going so quickly. I think the learning curve is equally as every time something new comes out, it's the amount of effort. It's never going to be as easy as plugging in your guitar into a couple of pedals into your amp and then physically touching knobs until it's yeah. good. And yeah, I, I agree. But also at the same time, you know, like there's, I got a cabinet sitting back here that on the last Jason Aldean sessions, I a beat it to my cabinet that I have in Cartage. Cartage is our gear in a warehouse mm -hmm. that if somebody's got a big enough budget, they just, we call them and they wheel our stuff in. It's beautiful. But when I don't have that, I carry my own stuff. So I have a one by 12 cab. So I a beat it because I, I just needed to make sure because I'd been on the road so much that I wasn't doing as many carry sessions. Um, and I a beat it and it sounded sounded in the environment we do the jason records so i know that room i know that sound chain i know that engineer um and the only difference was that there was a little less bass a little less bottom end on this this cabinet but not enough for me to go i'm not going to use this for sessions um so i've been bringing it to sessions but man it's been really different everywhere wow. and Sometimes that's that's just as frustrating, yeah. you know, as what you were saying with the with the profilers. So I'm going to swap it out. I got one cabinet here that another one that for some reason isn't that it was it never fluctuated that much. It's odd to me, mm -hmm. you know. Maybe it's just built better and there's there's uh, more spots that sound good because of the way it's designed. I, I don't know, but um, but yeah. So there's nuances with anything, really. Sure, you know. So. Usually, I, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say I think being able to um, start to notice those nuances. Yeah, I'll have kids I'm working with. I say kids, no matter what the age they are. People that are old enough to be my parents, they're still kids in my brain. Um, and we'll be doing something, and they're like, "Hold on!" And I see them starting to fiddle with their tone knob and their volume knob. I'm like, "You caught it! You caught yeah. it!" Because now you're hearing the little differences. So, yeah. like a double-edged sword where yeah, the inconsistency is annoying, but that your ear can pick it out means that you really developed you know yeah and and a lot of times and and 
that's not the case with this cabinet, but back in the day, like with my studio cabinet, I know with that one that if it sounds weird, nine times out of 10, I can go walk and look and see where they have the mic and I can go and move it like one inch. And it's like, there it is, you know, but so a lot of nuances. When you're doing the uh, Jason Aldean stuff, is it a different studio band than the live band? Uh, not, not really a little bit. Um, so the, the three is the root, the three Kings, we call them, uh, Tully, uh, and Kurt and Rich. Kurt Allison is the other guitar player on the records. Um, and the main guy live, I believe he does most of the lead stuff. Tully's bass player, Rich's drums. So, um, I, I want to go back. Jack Sizemore is their other live guitar player, but he played on the first record. And then I think he quit the band. And at the same time I started doing electrics, like on the first record, I only played Hicktown. That was the only thing I played electric on. The rest was acoustic. And then it swapped to me and Kurt doing electric. So it's been that ever since. So, so it's always those three and they're, they play live as well. Hmm. The uh, steel player is different, and I don't know. If, I don't think they have a keyboard player live. Um, I think they go full rock and roll. And acoustic player, I think it's just Jason playing acoustic, I believe. Or well, I, I bet Jack probably hits it if they need it too. So, but yeah, it's amazing. It's you know, it's it's funny because I play most of the most of the leads on the records, but Kurt and he's Kurt's by my side playing other stuff, but he'll take the leads live. And Jack will do his part. So it kind of swaps, you know, but then I tour with McGraw, but I don't even play on his records. So yeah, a lot of people don't know that they, they're like, well, wait, don't you play on their, the records? It's like, no, you know, big and rich was the only thing I did that I actually went out and played live with. Wow. That's so how does, I guess maybe it's the same answer to the question before. How does, how do you do one, but not, the other like what makes the artist choose the session guys versus the live guys you know uh it's people get into their groove just like just like the mix of musicians for the uh jason record hasn't changed for all these records 12 records i think we've done wow. you know it's been the same personnel it settled in on on record two except for a couple of the acoustic guys, I think swapped around for another record or two, but it's 12 solid records of pretty much the same band because that's what works for him. That's his sound. Um, and McGraw, you know, where his producer, it's the same producer he's had for years. I think he's straight and use other musicians, but I think there's certain guys his producer loves to call um, that he always uses. So that would be the example. I'm not, I w I've never been on a McGraw record, you know, so had I been on one 10 years ago, I may still be doing them, Got it. you know, so it's, it's just a matter of the producer, the artist who they end up using. Sometimes, sometimes the live bands aren't good in the studio. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are, I don't think there's a rule. You know, some people say you can't do both and that's just BS, you know, but um, yeah, but some people are better at one than the other. Do they give you charts when you go in the studio? Is the music written? Are you improvising? Yeah, basically, well, it works a couple of different ways. Because if you start at a demo session, that's usually when a guy's come, a guy or a girl um, is coming in with a song, and they play it for you on acoustic, or um, they play a tape of it, just acoustic and vocal, and somebody makes a chart or has already made a chart, and you're looking at it. And then, boom, you go out there and you have 30 minutes per song, maybe 40, and you create their their track, you know, and they might have a melody idea. They may may not. You may completely make it up yourself for a guitar part or something like that. Yeah. Um, so then on the record side of it, when you're doing records, it's usually it's usually those demos you're hearing because those demos get pitched to the producers and artists from the songwriters. So, and then you're doing a record and you're learning somebody else's parts. Cause a lot of times producers and artists like the song, not only because of the song, but because of the sound of the demo. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so a lot of us guitar players and all musicians end up playing a lot of everybody else's licks, which is an interesting thing. And there's a lot of different ways, I think, or a couple of different ways you could feel about that, <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, there's, it's, it's pretty interesting how it works out. Do you know going like, if, all right, so a typical session, typical, mm -hmm. like you're going to, uh, the, the, the next Jason Aldean record, like what? What gear do you bring with you to that session? Uh, well, you know what? I, I bring my core stuff that's in Cartage, which is my uh, mainly my basement head, uh, 64, I believe. Nice. Uh, um, and an old showman cabinet that I've had for years. I got for 75 bucks and a couple extra heads, Morgan, Marshall, uh, a third power. But I, you know, I... I use that basement, I'd say 85% of the time on the records and that it's what I've been using forever. And I know, you know, Knox knows to go out, get the melody maker out or play the Rick or nah, get the Gretsch. You know, he knows after all these records, we found what works for us. And, and that's, you know, still what I bring to other sessions. Although I did have a session over Christmas time, right before Christmas, um, I was really excited to do, and it was more of a rock thing. So I had my cartage come and bring all those amps and guitars and huge pedal board. And, and I still carried with me two other amps and about 15 other guitars and bags full of pedals. Cause I was so excited. I was like, yeah, we're going to get to create. And, uh, so sometimes you do both, but it's rare. I get that excited. I'm getting old. No, dude. I mean, it's it's exciting. <laughs> Do you crank the basement up? Like you jack it up, or once in a while, cool. once in a while. But my main main sound is is that thing on about two and a half to three with a box of rock pedal. That's the main sound of the Aldine stuff. At wow. least at least on the last four or five records, I've, that's been my go to pedal. So Hicktown was actually a TS nine. And a silver face basement through the same cabinet, the wow. drip edge basement. Yeah, Strat and a TS9. Do, 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 you know, that's awesome. So, yeah, a lighter combination, I think, than you would think it is. Yeah. You know, but I'm just blown. But, you know, cool John Rich riff. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, what kind of pedals? You know, you said a huge pedal board. You know, what, what staples are on there? Um, well, I'm going to show you too. Hopefully, my connection will go. Take. I don't have my studio one with me, but here's one. If you can see, can you see that? Yeah, yeah. That's one board in my studio here. M9 is kind of a go-to. Mm -hmm. Then I've got. Hopefully, there's enough light on this one. Can you see that one? Yeah. So they're all mixed up, and I've got like three other ones. <laughs> so there's so many things I like. Uh, I love the Big Sky Reverb. That's become my my new favorite toy from Strymon. And uh, Timeline Delays, cool. The LCAP Stand, uh, the Dunlop Echoplex MXR. Is it MXR? I don't know which they're calling it. The Echoplex is amazing. Um, I, dude, I'm like you, man. If it makes a weird noise, I want it. Uh, it's, I think, and especially now, there's so many of these boutique companies. And then with reverb, I'm like addicted to reverb. I literally play oh. these games. Please, please tell me this is normal because no one else wants to admit it out loud. I play these games in my mind where I get like super hooked on something and I'm, I'm watching all the videos. And then I'm like, okay, well, if I can find one under whatever price that I justify in my mind is fair, then I have right. to buy it. So I like sneak off in the middle of the night and I'm looking on my phone and then I'll find one and buy it. And then like, I get this monster heap of pedal stuff over my shoulder. Yeah. Is that normal? <laughs> yeah. Got, well, there's my wall back there. I didn't show you. I don't know. If okay. You, okay you it's make it out. But that red area. Yeah. yeah. Um, all pedals plus five pedal boards. So I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I don't, I'm not quite so uh, planned about it as you are. <laughs> That's how I justify it. My brain calculates things in the most. Yeah. Making How many it. pedals do you need? Just one more. That's the answer. That's so yeah. answer. And the uh, space station is one of my favorites. That that old the Digitech space station. Yeah. That's killer. 
I love stuff like that. But my friend David Levita, that's in the McGraw band, you you should have him on here sometime. He's the man with the pedals and the sounds. He's oh, yeah. God. First time I heard him, I was like, oh, I want to create again. I want to, I want to reinvent. It's just amazing. It becomes this cool sonic palette, you know, where you can just start to one, like, you know, some dotted eighth note delay thing. Just, oh, that's cool. Let's loop that. Now let's add, yeah. that, let's add that. And then, then being able to figure out ways to do it live. I think this is even cooler. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's pivot now. Now I'm do one more gear question. And okay. I'll- it off gear and then at the end i'm gonna do a uh, rapid fire this or that kind of goofy thing okay i hope i hope i don't look like a jerk there is no wrong answers there is no <laughs> except for one question has a wrong answer and i'll let you know most people get it right um you're on a desert island and you get one guitar one amp and one pedal what would it be? oh boy i'm i'm gonna say at risk of offending some of my friends at the wonderful guitar companies that I love and help me out are so kind. Um, my Rickenbacker, uh, it's a 330-64 with uh, my Vox Cambridge. Cool. 65 Vox Cambridge and probably the Box of Rock. Cool. I'd, be good. I'd be good. I'd be good. I'd be trying to remember every Tom Petty song I could. <laughs> I asked the same question to Zach Myers from a shinedown and uh, he, he grabs, he's like, I'll get this. And then he pulls out a Les Paul and he's like, and it's real. It was a 59. <sighs> and then he walks his camera over to a Dumble and then a clone. Wow. I, well. I said, I, 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 the show is over. Cause it wouldn't, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's amazing. I, I played through a Dumble, but it wasn't the right situation. I need to play play through one when I can sit right in front of it and look like the guy in the Maxell commercial with my hair getting blown back. And, <laughs> you know. Maxell, if you don't know, that was a, a VHS or a cassette company. Yeah. There are these things that music used to come on. I'll put a, a YouTube link in, in the yeah. show notes for the, for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So another question I like to ask before we go more into gear nerdery is a lot of people um, when there's musicians and obviously, you know, with, with such an epic career and, and just an amazing resume, they tend to think that, well, it's just music, but sometimes there's other things. So do you have something, um, you know, collect something or cooking or books or martial arts? Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I say that, but I have missed this year because of, of, uh, obvious um, I, I was slacking for a couple months before it actually to be honest but um but i love martial arts man it, it's just it's a therapy for me and and it's uh it's an amazing thing so i really enjoy that i love to hear that man because yeah. me personally martial arts was my thing before i found music ah, my cool. young life i was i'm gonna open up a, a karate school that's what i'm gonna do and then yeah. stole me away but I like it also because I think when I was a kid, if you were a musician, you were relegated, stereotyped into this stoner, outcast, freaky kind of thing. You couldn't, right. you couldn't be athletic. Yeah. And I think, you know, health and wellness is incredibly important. So something like that. It's yeah. Yeah. It's a great thing, man. Mind and body. Yeah. hundred percent. For sure. New Visions Dojo, Nolensville, Tennessee. We'll show there's links in there too. We'll link it all up. Um, okay. I'm looking at my list here, my random question. I'm trying to yeah. connect them. Sometimes I go on tangents and yeah. then I can't connect the thoughts. So. <laughs> yeah. That's what I get to. That's the, when I know it's time to stop. I go, <laughs> where, where was I going? When in the studio, um, I think again, to the initial question, um, with nerves and anxiety, things going wrong. I tell the story to my students all the time when they're so afraid of something going wrong. I had, uh, it was a, a fly gig in Vermont and they had a back line. So I had to bring this giant pedal board. And on the first song, I stepped on my wah pedal and it came off the Velcro and something unplugged. And for the remainder of the hour and a half set, I had to plug right into the amp. Mm. And everything I'd rehearsed and all the changes and all, it was like a corporate thing. So there's a lot of different styles of music I had to do. And I could, it was just a volume knob for the rest challenge baby wow so um 
has something happened on the Tim McGraw stuff or, or even in a session where something goes wrong? Yeah, how do you oh, yeah. It's, and it's, and it's always really frustrating. You know, it, it is there. There's only one session I had to do exactly what you did. And it was crank the basement if I wanted distortion because I can't figure out what's wrong with the pedal board. And we did it and it was, it was fine. It worked out. You know, I think, I think maybe they were adding effects for me and stuff like that, cool. or at least afterwards. Um, live on a, on a stage with McGraw, it's a little easier because the band's so big that if something goes wrong with my gear, I can stop playing, you know, I can keep playing and talking to my talk back and go, you guys know my amps out, right? <laughs> and I'll be like, yep. I'm like, cool. And I'll just <laughs> play along. And, you know, maybe the people on my side, if it's a stereo mix, will notice there's something different. All of a sudden there's something gone. But, you know, how many people in the audience, you know, are, are really musician musicians that will pick that up? You know, maybe half. Right, yeah. <laughs> you always know who they are because they're doing this. They're yeah. Yeah, well, so he's not really playing that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you just gotta go with it, man. I think it's almost like it's almost like when you fall down and break your face open on the on the cement, like adrenaline takes over, and you're just like everything slows down. And you're like, well, obviously, you just do this and plug this into the Marshall and go, and <laughs> you know, just it all takes over, man. What's a day in the, uh, you know, when you're on the road with uh, Tim McGraw, like what is, you know, sound check and, and what is, you know, your morning to the gig? Uh, well, okay. What is my morning? We are spoiled, man. It's such a great gig. He takes such good care of us. Um, dream big kids. It's not all like this. It's not all roses, uh, but we'll pull into town and in our bus and um, the band bus and we'll pull at, we'll get to a hotel usually, depending on what kind of gig it is. Um, and we'll all get out of the bus, go to a hotel room that we have until the afternoon. Well, if it's a town, we'll walk around that town. We'll go get coffee. We all, you know, branch off into sometimes little groups of the band. Sometimes we go solo. Um, and then we usually converge at the venue and work out and do the, the Tim workouts, which I miss because Without him making me do them, not doing them as much, if at all. Um, and then, uh, then we just kind of wait around, you know. It's like you got that couple hours of maybe playing 2K in the back of the bus on the Xbox. I think half the buses still have 360s in them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, we get on stage and do it, man. It's We don't always have sound check. We usually have sound check towards the front of a tour and if we're changing something if we're adding or subtracting a song or if something goes wrong the night before you know somebody wants to be sure that it's not going to happen again whether it be musically or technically um but it's man it's great i've seen some great places and met some amazing people with tim and you know i've been i've been backstage and joe walsh walks in and I'm just like, well, now I'm nervous. <laughs> he said something to me. I can't remember what it was, but it was so humble. And it started with, you're nervous. You know, like, I'm the one that, blah, blah, you know, he was just so sweet, gracious. And um, the boss, Springsteen, personal hero of mine, was there. Um, one night, got to talk to him for a little bit. He was super cool. And Tom and Rita Hanks and Patty, um, his wife, and god it it's just cool it's a cool gig man and when we get treated so good yeah and uh yeah it's awesome that's incredible yeah absolutely incredible it's cool that the show is so dialed in that you don't need to sound check it it's just that's yeah no it's great really professional yeah it's awesome it's all i mean the crew that we have even i mean sometimes it, it changes through the years there's usually a route of about five or six guys that are always with us um, but it quickly becomes a tight knit machine, very well oiled. Um, you know, all these, all these crew guys, you know, are from great companies and they've been doing it for years and, and girls and they are serious about it and they're awesome. 
you know, we, we were, we're always lucky. And then you're really lucky if you're on one of the tours where they actually bring tour catering. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> like pot roast instead of warm lunch meat. Nice. Eat like a king. <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, I'm going to ask one more question and then we'll do my rapid fire. My final question prior to the rapid fire fun. Um, you know, what would you, a quick piece of advice to the next generation, someone looking to get into the life of a musician as a career, as a realistic career. The only 100% sure way to not make it is to give up. Oh, I love that. That's our soundbite. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You know, and that's, that's, that's the thing you give up. You're not going to make it. So it takes, it takes some people longer than it takes others. So if you, if you have the dream and the, and the soul and the desire to chase it, you got to chase it. So I feel you, man. That, that was the best answer I've heard to that question. So thank you for that. Our whole philosophy here with the school is we want to give people the skills to play music forever. Yeah. And it's a long road and ride that road and up and down and up and down and up and down. And believe in yourself, you know, that's no matter what people say, you know, maybe you do suck. Maybe you do, but keep trying until you prove that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the other side of that answer. I like that too. Uh, All right, brother, here's going to be a series of rapid fire questions. All right. This or that, there's no wrong answer. Um, All right. Uh, one. And uh, some of them are like the guitar related ones, like we're not offending. So they're just the disclaimer. Uh, I'm a PRS guy, but I would answer these questions uh, the way they're questioned, even though I still PRS, you know what I'm saying? So, okay. Okay. Humbucker or single coil pickups? Humbucker. Les Paul style guitar or Strat style guitar? Les Paul. In the Fender world, Strat or Tele? Oh, <sighs> that's a hard one, man. Uh, Used to be Telly. I mean, it used to be Strat when I was a kid, but Telly now. Cool. Yeah. I just got the uh, Brent Mason signature. Uh, oh, you did. Is it, it awesome? Oh, my God. It weighs like a ton. Yeah. I've never had a guitar with a bender in it, and that's really cool. And just the pickup combinations, I'm in love. Have you had him on yet? Hmm. Have you had him on your thing yet? No. I bet he'd do it. You should reach out to him. Send him a message. I definitely will. I definitely will. Call you out, Brent. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No. He's, we, he's a badass guy. I, I I I watch his Instagram stuff, and I'm just like, duh. What? Chicken <laughs> picking stuff. Like I'm yeah. a lefty, but I play righty, so yeah. my right hand is is dumb. And just watching all that, I, I just can't wrap my hand around it. Yeah. If I show up at a session and he's there too, <laughs> I do not take my telly out. <laughs> and if it's already out, I put it away. <laughs> um. All right. Back to the question. Sorry, I got I got distracted myself. Me too. Me too. Okay. In a Gibson world, a Les Paul or an SG? Oh, SG, and I don't, I don't really have a good one, but yeah, SG. Cool. All right, I didn't expect that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, as for bases, if we're going just from a classic standpoint, P bass or jazz bass? Uh, you know, I can't tell. I can't. I can't tell you the difference. Looks wise, I like the jazz bass. Cool. Yeah, I like yeah. the jazz looks. Too. And some of yeah, some of my favorite rocker guys have used some jazz but so maybe we mean jazz cool i dig it um for acoustics martin or taylor um uh, martin no taylor martin remember him it's taylor martin that's the answer can't get that one wrong <laughs> <laughs> no i don't want it man i can't uh boy old martin that's a tough one because because with the newer stuff, it's how do you yeah okay yeah uh, for that's any, a mean question man that's yeah, it's gonna get harder I apologize uh, I'm horrible um my amplification Marshall or Fender Fender uh, yeah they're very different things so that that's not yeah. a question um, effects delay or reverb yes okay. <laughs> No wrong answers. Um, fuzz or overdrive? Overdrive. Phaser or chorus? Phaser. 
Okay. That's the one where there's a right answer. So cool. Okay. Uh, Beatles or Stones? Beatles. John or Paul? Jaw. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I say Paul. Okay. I like Paul too. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Zeppelin or Floyd? Um, Zeppelin. Okay. Different animals. So that, that's a rough yeah, one. Yeah, totally. Uh, dark side or the wall? Ooh, the wall. Cool. I like the wall too. I like this. Pearl Jam or Nirvana? Pearl Jam. Okay. We're best friends. Cool. Uh, Sammy Hagar or David Lee Roth? <sighs> it's two different bands. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, I mean, I grew I being a child of the 80s. I heard, you know, my being born in 74, I heard Hagar at an age where I was connecting with music more. But through the years, I'd, I'd say David Lee Roth. I, I like the way you answered that. One of my, like my thesis in college was like the experiential component within music. When we experience music, no matter what it is, in hindsight, quality wise, musicianship, it's irrelevant because it's where it hits us in our lives. So. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think the right answer for that question for anybody, for your next person would be uh, anyone who sings with Eddie Van Halen playing guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'll tell you, I pissed my friends off. I liked the Gary Sharon record also because that, yeah. that my first time seeing Van Halen live was the tour for Van Halen 3. So Yeah. I've never, I, you know what? I never heard it. I never listened to it. I should. You got to listen to it, not expecting either of the previous things it's its yeah. own thing but yeah. you know there's some cool stuff on there cool less cool than the other stuff but still cool okay and then my last question which i can only ask today so you're the only person who will i ever get to ask this question to All right tampa bay or kansas city kansas city okay that's probably the right answer despite my hat but it's cool. yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I said kansas city cool it's it's uh youth over age i dig it all right brother well thank you so much for your time this was thank you so much this will exist on youtube i send it out to all the students after we finish the live it'll be the podcast tomorrow morning i'll put all the links um awesome thing too that you're mentioning if you just text me what that is i'll throw it in yeah i'll send send you some some links man i appreciate it dude thanks for having me it's been awesome to talk to you Uh, likewise man very and i hope hope your students get something something from it i'm positive they will there's much to unpack with all right brother thanks my friend be safe you're welcome you too peace see you see you man